Ladies and gentlemen, today we're taking a deep dive into Viola Davis's extended body of work. Tickets Please presents the highly anticipated, long-awaited return of Outside the Actor's Studio. This is Alexa and Catherine. Upon working our way through Viola's filmography, we discovered something. The two actors we've done previously were unique sort of situations. And now what we're realizing is Viola and many of the actors we'll cover after her are going to have a robust filmography. What am I on Veep? That includes a lot of parts that are really small in comparison to a lot of their really important big work. So in this case, we have a dozen or so movies that we really want to feature. What really stood out to me, and we kind of already knew this, but it was so apparent here, is that in all of her really big major roles, not all, but most of them, it's based around some type of really traumatic life experience, and most of those having to do with race. Mm. Whereas a lot of her smaller roles that are lighter or more joy-filled, or just not based in trauma, she's playing the maid, or Mm -hmm. the friend, or the sidekick. It's so, I can't even think of the right word to really express the feeling, but the fact that Black women have, and we talked about this a little bit when we covered Chadwick as well, so Mm -hmm. it's not just women, but the fact that Black women have such a lack of big starring roles that aren't about something traumatic just really sucks. Agreed. I couldn't have said it better. So we're going to start with Antoine Fisher, which came out in 2002 and was directed by Denzel Washington. The touching story of a sailor, Derek Luke, who, prone to outbursts from past trauma, is sent to a naval psychiatrist, Denzel Washington, for help. Refusing at first to open up, the young man eventually breaks down and reveals a troubled childhood. Through the guidance of his new doctor, he confronts his painful past and begins a quest to find the family he never knew. Who's that, Eva? That's Johnny. No. That's Antoine Quentin Fisher. Who's Antoine Quentin Fisher, Eva? That's my firstborn son. What did you think of Antoine Fisher? I thought that portions of it were a bit slow, but the ending 25 minutes since the whole thing. Viola's part 
is relatively short and at the end. So we probably won't get into as much of the rest of the film, but my gosh, you're right. There were parts that were slow, but overall it was so good. I thought it was going to be another run of the mill, early 2000s drama Mm -hmm. that they all kind of just blurred together. And I thought it felt surprisingly current. It did. Derek Luke was amazing, as he always is. I mean, of course, Denzel was. Like, that doesn't even need to be said. <laughs> but I, I just, it was hard to watch at times, but I really, really liked it. I thought it was really good. That scene where he goes to the Thanksgiving dinner and they're saying grace and he's looking around the table and taking it all in. It felt so warm and joyous and you could experience and feel how this was the first time he had really embraced something like that that he'd even gotten to experience it and then when he pulls denzel's character aside into the next room and he reads him the poem he wrote (sighs) i my entire body was racked with sobs (laughs) i mean i just was not expecting it i one thing i really admired about denzel's performance is he really captured the struggle that his character felt between embracing antoine and not becoming too close and too attached to become a pseudo family i mean he did become a pseudo family member for him they loved each other they said that to one another he was his first example of a father figure and you could see how that tore him up how he knew that he really was not supposed to be that for him and how even though he wasn't supposed to be there were moments where he couldn't help but relinquish and be that for him yeah like when antoine comes to his house after he goes on his first date she kissed me she kissed me I didn't even push her. Only thing I did was I walked her to the door. I threw some Japanese on it, and then she kissed me. Listen, Seaman Fisher. Oh, sir, I'm sorry for knocking on your door, but I had to. I had to talk to you. Hello. I'm sorry for busting in on you like this. You know, this is highly irregular. Yes, sir. I never know what I'm going to do. I mean, we're getting underway to Mexico next week, and I'm starting to get serious with this girl. Okay, okay. Well, she'll be here when you get back. How do you know? Maybe she won't. Because if she has a fraction of the bounce that you have, she'll be here. I guarantee you. So you think I should just chill? That would be a good suggestion. Chill. Yes. Okay. I won't be doing this again. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. That was a really great moment for Denzel because he has to, he can't make it acceptable for him to have shown up at his house in the middle (laughs) of the night, but also still wants to be able to celebrate how really happy he is that he was able to ask out the girl that he wanted to and that he kissed her. And then when they have that argument in the bathroom toward the end of the movie before he ends up going to find his mother, Mm -hmm. I knew why Denzel's character, Jerome, was essentially cutting him off. Yeah, And I knew that it was ultimately for his own good, but my God, was it hard to watch. And Antoine knew it was for his own good, too, because you can see how torn up both of them are in that scene. And they both know that what he's doing is the right thing, but it just unlocks that trauma for him that he has been abandoned by literally everyone in his life. I understand this is very difficult for me. Our sessions have ended. Now, listen, just listen to me, I say. I'm taking the liberty. What do you mean they ended? It ended, son. It's time for you to move on. You can't stall here. But you and me are working out my you problems. You and me can't work you out all your problems. You told me that we need I to figure out my problems. Listen to me. Everybody's always people leaving me. grow. People move on. You've grown. It's time for you to move hey, on. My mother left me. I my father. I understand. Jesse and you. And I really, really felt that so viscerally for him. Toward the end, when he finally goes to meet his mom, I knew that it was going to be a challenging experience for him. I was not prepared for what it actually was. I was surprised at how how instantly Viola was able to communicate how devastated his mother felt. Because we've seen this kind of dynamic and relationship in, in other movies. And then in the end, sometimes the character will go and meet whoever it is they're going to meet and they're not happy to see them or they're angry or they don't care or they don't remember. But she remembered and it was clear that this had taken a toll on her entire life. And the fact that she has so few lines, almost no lines, really. And she manages to communicate devastation, guilt, shame, every emotion that there could be (laughs) with... 
almost no lines. It was astounding to watch. And you felt it like you were there, like it was happening to you. And it was so important for Antoine to see her like that. It was so clear to me that that is what made him be able to just say his piece and then make acceptance with that his mother is not going to be a part of his life. But now he's made peace with that and can move on with his life. Because if she hadn't been, if she had been like, who are you? I don't know what you're talking about. You're not my, if that had been the reaction, he might not have been able to get to a place where he could just say what he needed to say, say that he's grown up to be a great man and that he's in the Navy and all the things that he says to her and then give her a kiss on the cheek and and say goodbye. And on the other hand, if he had tracked her down and she was in a fairly good place, Mm. the anguish that would have caused to know that she didn't come looking for him and to feel like his he could have had a completely different and maybe great life with her. Yeah. What he talks about when he was a boy and he always imagined that she was on the next corner. On the way to school each day, I imagine you were just around the next corner and I get there. You'd be there. And in my mind, you was always there. You just couldn't find me. So I raced to the next corner. And you'd be there. I know you would. Then you would buy me ice cream. And then you would take me home. It was such a powerful image to think about a little kid thinking about it that way. I can't even begin to imagine what that must feel like. But what I loved and was so surprised by was that his father, who he also didn't know, who was killed before he was born even, that he had this entire family who was so loving and so ready for them to be a part of his life. When he walks into that house and sees his huge family and then keeps walking and the doors open (sighs) and there's more family and the older generation of grandparents and their siblings and and then the table that's full of all that food. And even prior to that, I love when he calls his aunt. She was so on board so quickly. It's the middle of the night he's calling her. She's caught her off guard. Once she gets even the tiniest bit of information, she's so excited to see him and to meet him. And when he asks if he could bring his girlfriend with him and she's like, oh my God, yes, of course. I want to, I can't wait to meet her. What made you decide to show up 20-something-odd years later in the middle of the night. That's a long story. But I'm in the Navy, and uh, I'm stationed on the West Coast. i got to get back in a few days. Well, I, wa- I want you to come by my house before you go. Okay. Okay, look, y- you have a-, a pencil? Take down my address. Yeah. It's 1089 Drexel. 1089 Drexel. You know where that is? Yes, ma'am. All right, well, come by my house tomorrow, here. Okay, um, ma'am. Yes? You mind if I bring my girlfriend with me? Yeah, fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting her. I'm sure she's looking forward to meeting you, too. You Listen, you know, if if Edward was your father, then you're talking to your auntie, son. You are talking to your auntie, Annette, your daddy's baby sister. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. And then when he sits down at the dining room table with his grandmother, like it's so beautiful and, and lucky and lovely that he was able to be a part of a family that was so ready to to love him. Yes, especially because he, I imagine, has always felt so undeserving of love and like love was so far out of his grasp or like to receive it was such a harrowing, clawing journey. And like you said, when he calls his aunt, and as soon as she knows who he is, she's so openly full of love for him. And then when he's welcomed by his family, they're all like that too. It's so amazing. And when they first go there and they're like, he's sitting in front of them and they're all like, I don't know. What do you think? He does look like Eddie. I do. Yeah, you look just like him. Mm Mm-hmm. And your mother's name is Eva Eva, Eva. I know Eva. That's Jess's sister. Who? Jess. You mean Fish? Yeah, Fish. Jess Fisher. 
The boy's name is Antoine Fisher. That's Jess Fisher's sister, even me. You know May May. She live over there on Hodges Street. No, I don't remember no May May. You know where she lives? You don't know her, do you? And then he goes with who is it that he goes with to meet his mother? I can't remember. I don't now. know the relation between them. But then when he gets out of the car and a- and asks him, I'm "Not gonna let nothing happen to me, are you?" No, Antoine, I'm not gonna let nothing happen to you. I was reading a review on Viola's performance on this blog called FilmExperience.net, and I wrote this down because I thought it really communicated it well. She conjures an entire lifetime of trauma and regrets exactly by the way she denies us, the audience, entrance into this woman's mind. She's closed off from us, from her son, and from herself. Wow. Isn't that like such a perfect description? (laughs) (laughs) An amazing movie. It got mixed reviews. I thought it was freaking great. I liked it a lot. The next one we have is Doubt from 2008 and directed by John Patrick Stanley. Is he also who wrote it? Yes. And I'm sorry, it's John Patrick Shanley. In 1964, the winds of change are sweeping through St. Nicholas School. Father Flynn, Philip Seymour Hoffman, a charismatic priest, is advocating for reform of the school's strict customs, and the first Black student has just been accepted. When a fellow nun, Amy Adams, tells Sister Aloysius Meryl Streep that Father Flynn may be paying too much personal attention to the student, the sister begins a personal crusade against the priest, despite her lack of evidence. How's Donald doing? Uh, He's passing his subjects. He has average grades. Good. He was upset about getting taken off the altar, boys. Mm. Did he explain why? He said he was caught drinking altar wine. That is the reason. Well, that seems fair. But he's a good boy, sister. He fell down there, but he's a good boy pretty much down the line. Doubt was actually the first movie that garnered Viola an Oscar nomination. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, along with Amy Adams, actually. And both of them lost to Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. You know how much I love Vicky Cristina and Penelope Cruz, but I actually think that was the wrong decision. I don't know who else was nominated that year. So uh, I actually wrote it down, ironically. Uh, Taraji P. Henson for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and Marissa Tomei for The Wrestler. Whoa. So it was a tough category that year. I've got to say, I can't believe these words are coming out of my (laughs) mouth, but out of all of those, I would have put Penelope at the bottom. I'm actually surprised that she won. And then Viola was also nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. And she lost to Kate Winslet for The Reader, which is interesting mm. because the Oscars qualified Kate Winslet's performance for Best Actress, and she won. Shit. So she was in the Best Actress category for the Oscars and supporting for the Golden Globes. So Viola may have even won a Golden yeah. Globe, if interesting. She still was up against Penelope and Marissa Tomei and Amy Adams. So the category was essentially the same except for Kate Winslet. Did you see that Philip and Meryl were also nominated for yeah. Doubt? That's wild. Well-deserved. but yeah. Crazy. What a phenomenal movie. I was blown away. Was this your first time seeing it? Yes. I hadn't seen it before. And I, seeing the truly horrendous poster and just getting a glimpse of what it looked like, I was like, ugh, this is going to be so boring. Within four and a half minutes i was like oh wait a minute this is gonna be so good this is an incredibly corny phrase so pardon me but there really is no other way to describe it the four of them viola included viola amy merrill and philip gave tour de force performances yes i ended up on this website for Tribe Nine Studios, which is actually a clothing company, but they run a blog too, where they talk about Black culture and movies and stuff. And I don't know who wrote this because it was a guest poster. They didn't, oh, okay. there wasn't a name there, but they wrote, this is the first time that I've seen Merrill have to actually work to keep up with a co-star. 
And I was like, that is so <laughs> on point and so true. The the one scene that Viola is in, it's about eight minutes long. I could write a literal thesis on just that scene. There is so much there, both in the story and in the acting, both Meryl and Viola. It's unreal. So much nuance in what they say and what they don't say. And it, what, everything they have to say is phrased in such a perfect way that lends to both of their actions in that scene. Yes, totally. And the way it unravels that in the beginning, we think, how could this mother possibly, Yeah. what we think is, how could this mother possibly not care, according to sister, that her son is most likely being abused? How could she not care? And then by the end, we have been through such a journey in that eight <laughs> minutes that we realize how many other factors are coming into play. And so does Sister Aloysius, because the end of the scene is is Mrs. Miller saying, Dad. Then what do you want from me? Nothing. As it turns out. So even she had gone into that interaction with such conviction and certainty, and she came out with doubt. Unreal. <laughs> The first thing that really hit me was when sister sh shares what she thinks is going on. She doesn't outright say it, but she says it in a way that Mrs. Miller understands what she's getting at. Mm -hmm. And when she asks if there's any evidence and sister says that she can't be certain, Mrs. Miller's response is then maybe there's nothing to it. May have made. I can't be certain. No evidence. No. And maybe there's nothing to it. My first reaction to that was, what? <laughs> like, how is that yeah. your response? But then we start thinking about how, if this is true, and if it's brought to light, all the different ways that it could negatively affect her son beyond what the abuse or how potential abuse is already affecting him. And we learn that his father will likely beat him to death. And that if this is brought up and it's not true, that her son is going to lose everything. Yeah. How precarious his situation is, how in quote lucky he is to even be in that school and have that opportunity in the first place. And the likely attacks that the entire family will suffer just by the this question even being out there and then when mrs miller says if we're talking about something floating around between this priest and my son it ain't my son's fault oh i'm not suggesting it's just that... a boy i know 12 years old if someone should be taking blame it should be the I man know. not the I boy i agree with you completely you agree with me but i got called to the principal if you know what i'm I saying am. there are so many other scenarios in which if this were to come to light no one would even think that anyone is blaming the boy but because of the time and i'm sure this even happens to this day but because of the time period because he's black and because society might believe that he's gay, which of course being gay has absolutely nothing to do with whether someone is sexually abused. Like those are completely and totally different things. But at the time there was a lot of conflation. There. Right. The fact that sister Aloysius, she's unable to put herself into Mrs. Miller's shoes to understand that simply by bringing it to light, it reflects badly on her son. It is so interesting that her conversation with Mrs. Miller really does alter her actions. It totally changes the trajectory that she may have taken without being able to at least un hear, if not understand, hear what Mrs. Miller has to say about what this situation coming to light would do to her and her family. She You're does right. respond differently. She, instead of getting more of the sisters involved or going to the Monsignor or any of those things, she then says that she did that later and that he covered for him or whatever. But she instead has, has a second conversation with Father Flynn about it and tries to j just basically bluff her way into getting him to leave of his own accord instead yeah. of 
exposing him for what he might really be. So even though she doesn't understand completely what Mrs. Miller is saying and finds it at first appalling and shocking that that would be her point of view, it does change how she acts. Another line that really was like a knife was when Mrs. Miller says, You know the rules maybe, but that don't cover it. I know what I won't accept. You accept what you got to accept and you work with it. The life that she and so many other people, so many other Black people were forced to live, that that sentence would have to come out of her mouth. And about potential abuse of her son. It demonstrates how much trauma, collective trauma, the entire Black community was experiencing and still does today. That when the sister says, Sister, you ain't going against no man in the robe and wind. He's got the position. And he's got your son. Let him have him then. What? It's just till June. In other words, the damage is already done. And I know I've already sort of said this, but like if this were to get out, the damage happened Mm -hmm. either way. If it did happen, it's already happened. And if this gets out, the damage is going to be a thousand times more that it's better just to shut up and put your head down and just deal with it and, and accept it as much as you can to get through to June so he can graduate from this school. Mm-hmm. It's unfucking real, man. She should have. She should have won the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that she was nominated for such a uh, that it was so glaring that they couldn't ignore the performance, despite the fact that it was only the one scene. You know, I'm reading her memoir. I'm about two thirds of the way through. And so many of the experiences that her character has gone through in Doubt and in Antoine Fisher, she has been through in her real life. Everything from extreme poverty to physical and sexual abuse to racism, extreme racism and bullying at school. When she was a little girl, she used to get chased home by boys every single day it's incredibly difficult to read honestly but also so triumphant that she's gotten to where she is now not just that she's talented and a famous actress and all that but that she's respected and and who she is i think is really seen and appreciated in a way that she never had as a kid. It makes me really understand how she was able to find those performances and how she was able to communicate so many different conflicting emotions all at once. I don't know that someone who hasn't been through some of that stuff can really get there. I don't know. I can't believe I wasn't forced to watch this in school, honestly. Anyone who studies film should have to watch this. Yeah. Anyone who studies English or creative writing should have to watch it. I was instantly transported to church in the first five minutes. When when Donald and the other altar boy are preparing everything to go into church and he lights the incense, I swear I could smell it. This is very weird to say, but putting the whole question of abuse aside, obviously, there was something so unbelievably comforting to me about the vibe of this. The weather, yes. the location, the set design of yes. the school, the religious aspect. I don't know why I don't find and Catholicism comforting at all. Me neither. That's <laughs> what I was, was going to say. About it. I was so instantly put in a place where I was comforted, even though I'm not actually comforted by church in yes. real life. Yes. When he was giving his sermon, I was like, yes, go. Like, <laughs> go father flynn i'm like who are you you don't like church like you don't go to church when they were outside in the beginning and it was really gray and dreary and the leaves were blowing on the street when they're sitting on that wooden bench outside of sister's office (sighs) and you can see those white tiles behind them yeah that are so like from a school of that time i don't know what i just felt yeah cozy (laughs) so disturbing this is sick (laughs) this is so disturbing (laughs) 
do you know I had this conversation with my mom after I watched it and explained all of this to her and was like, I don't understand no, why I, felt, I found it I so felt the same. I felt the same way. Do I you said think th- other people feel this way or I don't it's something know. unique with us being weird? I don't know because my literal first note is the beginning of this was so comforting. The colors of the church and the music and when he's lighting the incense. That was my first note. <laughs> we're really lucky actually that we were both raised Catholic and we don't have any religious trauma. Yeah. So many people do. It was a nice experience. I mean, I don't want to go back. Me neither. (laughs) But it was a nice experience. Yeah. I love when he says, and that it's the real crux of the whole thing is... Doubt can be a bond as powerful and sustaining as certainty. When you are lost, you are not alone. All right, so our next movie is The Help, released in 2011 and directed by Tate Taylor. In 1960s Mississippi, Skeeter, Emma Stone, returns from college with dreams of being a writer. I hate the way this is written. She turns her small... The entire criticism of this movie is that it's from a white savior perspective. And all they talk about is And whoever wrote this... Needs to go to a class or something. She turns her small town on its ear by choosing to interview the black women who've spent their lives taking care of prominent white families. Only Abilene Viola Davis, the housekeeper of Skeeter's best friend, will talk at first. But as the pair continue the collaboration, more women decide to come forward. And as it turns out, they have quite a lot to say. I thought I might write my stories down and read them to you. And no different than writing down my prayers. I don't say my prayers out loud. I find I can get my point across a lot better writing them down. I write an hour, sometimes two, every night. And after my prayers last night, I got some stories down too. My first white baby to ever look after was named Alton Carrington Spears. It was 1925, and I just turned 14. I dropped out of school to help mama with the bill. Alton's mama died of lung disease. I loved that baby. And he loved me. That's when I learned I could make children feel proud of themselves. So there are two things we have to talk about here. One is the controversy around the film, and the other is Viola's performance. We're going to touch on both, but we want to make sure we keep them separate. Yeah. So one of the criticisms of The Help is that most of it is from Skeeter's perspective. And while she's telling the stories of these women, the stories aren't ultimately showing the audience who they really were and what those experiences were like from their perspective. That's been the criticism. It's under a white framework and it's perpetuating the white savior narrative that is prevalent in a lot of Hollywood movies about race and about Black people. So I have here a bit on what Viola said about the experience a few years later. She said that she does have some regret around being in the help. And then this is a direct quote, but not in terms of the experience and the people involved because they were all great. The friendships that I formed are ones that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. I had a great experience with these other actresses who are extraordinary. She then went on to say she feels like at the end of the day, it wasn't the voices of the maids that were heard. She says, I know Aveline. I know Minnie. They're my grandma. They're my mom. And I know that if you do a movie where the whole premise is, I want to know what it feels like to work for white people and to bring up children in 1963. I want to hear how you really feel about that. I never heard that through the course of the movie. So I had not watched The Help prior to now. Oh, I didn't know that. So I only knew it in the context of now the retroactive looking back and realizing the criticisms. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I did want to say I thought the criticisms were retroactive as well. But as I read about it, I found that I think the criticisms were happening at the time. Oh, that's interesting. I did not realize that. That is interesting because I didn't say it at the top, but it was nominated for Best Picture and Viola was nominated for Best Actress and lost to Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady. Uh, She also was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Performance in a Motion Picture Drama and also 
again, lost to Meryl. I mean, if you're going to lose to anyone, <laughs> I guess it should be the best actors of, of our times. But all of that in my head going in, I didn't enjoy this at all. I thought it was bad. Did you? I did. Because of that. Yes. Because I yeah. just, it felt wrong. It felt like it should have been clear when they were making it and changes should have been made. Yeah. I felt that the ending especially felt incredibly defeating for the maids and triumphant for Skeeter. And I was like, well, this sucks. Yeah. To see her lose her job and walk down the street. And I understand that through her monologue, she was not a, a maid again and she went on to be a writer, maybe, but it's it didn't feel like the characters of the house. Yeah, the characters of the housekeepers were ultimately served by the story. Yes, I agree. And they all ended up losing instead of gaining. And that was not the whole point. Yes. It enraged me to watch it, honestly. Viola was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was. She I was. Mean, she was. Octavia, too. Yes. When Minnie comes busting into Abelene's house when she's being interviewed by Skeeter and at first is reprimanding them for what they're doing and then instantly comes back and wants to be a part of it. I was cackling. That was so funny. And we just love not making minimum wage or getting the Social Security. And how we love they cheering when they little. And then they turn out just like they mom. Uh, no. Maybe things can change. What law's gonna say you got to be nice to your maid? You don't have to do this now, Minnie. You damn right I don't. You two give me heart palpitations. And that's a good move. All right, I'm going to do it. But I need to make sure she understands this ain't no game we play. I also loved all the scenes of Viola with the little girl that she cared oh. for. They were so sweet together. She was so warm and motherly and kind. She was a better mom than... I love the scene when, she, when her mother is looking out the window after she just reprimanded her in front of all those people and the cameras and Abelene just gives her a hug. It's not even, you can't even hear what's going on out there. It's just through the window, but so much love and warmth. I was planning to mention the scene where she talks about the death of her son, but I feel like it's just another example of, I don't know, like trauma porn or something. It just feels <sighs> wrong. Yeah. All right. So next up is Prisoners, released in 2013 and directed by Denis Villeneuve. Keller Dover, Hugh Jackman, faces a parent's worst nightmare when his six-year-old daughter Anna and her friend go missing. The only lead is an old motorhome that had been parked on their street. The head of the investigation, Detective Loki, Jake Hall, arrests the driver, Paul Dano, but a lack of evidence forces him to release his only suspect. Dover, knowing that his daughter's life is at stake, decides he has no choice but to take matters into his own hands. Got a picture. It's my baby. Her name is Joy. And um, this is stuffed animal I got over Joe's too because she's afraid to sleep by herself. Another one that had mixed reviews that we both thought was really, really it good. did? Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. People saying it was too long and drawn out. No. That it was too predictable. Uh, that there were what? too many red That there were too many red herrings. I completely disagree. And there were not too many red herrings. There was the right amount of red herrings. How many herrings does it take? 
seriously i mean come on it's also a mystery they have to have some false leads otherwise it's not otherwise we just know who does it from the beginning viola plays the mother of one of the two girls who goes missing and she doesn't have many scenes but her most pivotal part comes when her and her husband played by terrence howard go to see that hugh jackman's character has locked up paul dano's character in this prison-like horror show. He's handcuffed to a sink in an abandoned apartment that Hugh Jackman's character owns. When she goes, it's crazy to think how any person would react to that kind of situation. And she's motivated so much by trying to find her daughter. But she still, of course, can't walk into that room and see somebody in that much pain and that much anguish and not at least try and reach him as a person. And so she does let him go and then it it ends up not working. But what I really want to say is I love the scene with her and Terrence Howard in the car afterwards when they're deciding what they're going to do. Her choice to not get in his way but not participate anymore. We're not going to help Kelly, but we won't stop him either. Let him do what he needs to. And it's such a lose-lose situation yeah. because you don't know if he did it. Yeah. And whether he actually does know where they are. Yeah. But like the the motivation that Hugh Jackman uses to get Terrence Howard to first participate is like, are you willing to bet everything on that? Because if we do let him go and he does know, what are we doing here? <laughs> Just as an aside, and I know we said this when we did Best Man Holiday, Terrence Howard is <laughs> underappreciated yeah. and he needs to be in more. He's <laughs> such a good actor. I could feel every bit of that excruciating decision. It took a toll on Hugh Jackman, but he was so certain that what he was doing was right, that it didn't, he didn't feel anguish about the decision itself. Yeah. And Terrence did understandably. And my God, what a spot to be in and what a character to play. But both of them navigated it literally perfectly because They participated to the point where they felt like they should, and then they had to draw a line and say, we're not going to do this anymore. But then they did have that gnawing feeling in the back of their mind where I'm sure a part of them were comforted while not participating, happy that he was still there. Yeah. And and knowing that Hugh Jackman was stopping at nothing to find out, is he responsible or does he know something? Even though they weren't active participants in that crusade. I had seen it once before, but I didn't remember the ending. Mm. So Thank I God. actually didn't know whether <laughs> whether he had done it or not. Mm-hmm. And normally we say at the beginning of this that it's including spoilers. If you guys have made it this far, you probably realize that. But we'll say it now. We're about to spoil the ending. Because please, <laughs> please, if you're going to watch it, don't let it be spoiled. It will ruin it. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> I could not believe it wasn't him. <laughs> And that that was the only part that could have potentially ruined the movie for me. Because I realized not only was it not him, but he had nothing to do with it. He was totally fucking innocent and he was beat for... And was a victim himself. Days. Of, yes. Uh, what, was yes. a victim himself. The only thing is that he did have the knowledge that they... Who, who did it? That was the only thing. So while he shouldn't be responsible and he should not have, no one should be victim of what Hugh Jackman did to him. But he did know who had the children and he was participant in their abduction. Was he? Yeah, because he's in the RV and that's and they got them in the RV and both of them were there because he makes a mention of how he was playing with them and they were fine until the aunt quote, the aunt forces him to leave. And and that's when he says at the police station to Hugh Jackman, they didn't cry until I left them. Okay. I thought that she abducted them mm-hmm. in the RV mm-hmm. and he came home or whatever, wherever. He didn't know that those girls were abducted. He just knew that they were suddenly at his house and he thought he had playmates. He's- yeah has the mental capacity i think they said of a 10 year old i think right i thought that he just happened upon them there at the house and thought oh my gosh i have friends now i thought that he was there but maybe it's unclear maybe it's not meant to because i don't think it's like explicitly said one way or the other 
but I thought he was the one driving the RV around. And, and so she was the full mastermind and perpetrator of the abduction. He didn't help her in that way, but I thought he was like driving the RV when it happened. But maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. But so do you think the reason why he didn't say it was because he was trying to protect her? Or do you think it was because he was just too scared? Once I realized that he wasn't to blame, Mm -hmm. I felt so much compassion for him and so sad for him that I wasn't mad that he didn't say anything because I thought maybe he was so traumatized and so scared that he was just frozen. Yeah, I, I think I do think I think it's that I think he was just so scared. And I think he just didn't have the understanding of what was going on. And right. he didn't know really even what was being asked of him, I think. And he also didn't know that those girls were being mistreated. Yeah. And that she was evil. Yeah, right. Because he that's all he knew. Is it's He's the literal definition of Stockholm syndrome. He was so victim to that, that she let him be a part of regular society. She let him drive on his own and go out and people knew him it wasn't even she never worried that he was gonna run away or tell anyone what happened to him because it was the only life he knew so next up is get on up which came out in 2014 and was also directed by tate taylor who directed the help james brown chadwick boseman was born in 1933 south carolina and survived abandonment abuse and jail to become one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century although his backup musicians came and went brown retained the ability to mesmerize audiences with his music signature moves and sexual energy (laughs) thank you rotten tomatoes (laughs) i was on the subway the other day and then the little boy sitting over me, arguing, talking about who's better, James Brown or little Willie John. This little boy got so mad. He said, James Brown, ain't nobody better than James Brown. He started dancing, carrying on. I'm so proud. So we already kind of talked about Get On Up in its entirety in our Chadwick Boseman episode because he plays James Brown. So we focused a lot on his performance and through the rest of the movie but viola plays his mother who is incredibly abusive and gives him away when he's young and leaves him to his abusive father and then attempts to come back into his life when he is successful why you come here tonight well sure I live in Brooklyn. My baby playing at the Apollo. I don't want you to feel proud. I ain't your sugar. I ain't your baby. Not then, not now. And I don't want you to tell nobody you my mama. It's me and you know that ain't true. Well, I ain't never want to be no mama. But you inside of me. I carried you. I had you, so I chose you. You chose me. I chose you. See, I thought about this a lot, a whole lot. I know it wasn't personal. That's why this ain't neither. I ain't need you. It's really upsetting. She was great, but <laughs> yeah. it was because Character. she was great, it was really upsetting. <laughs> Character, not so much. So I found this article from Cinema Blend right before we got on this recording where Viola shares that this was her favorite movie role because she loved Chadwick so much. Oh my God. It says throughout filming, she called him her baby and that she recalls he was very spiritual and he would play his African drum for healing and carry it around with him everywhere he went. Oh, I wish I had found this when we did Chadwick's episode, but I feel like it fits nicely now. How cool that they got to share that. That's beautiful. And that she has memories like that with him. We covered it. When we talked about his performance on that, it's a mediocre movie with two starring powerhouse actors. If it had been directed by someone else, it probably would have been Oscar worthy. Yeah. Because the the story is there. I mean, it's James Absolutely. Brown. Like, clearly the story is there and the <laughs> acting is there. It yeah. just the scene that sticks out to me the most is when she comes back to see him and tries to get into his show saying that she's his mother and he has that emotional conversation with her essentially saying you're not my mother because you have not been here for me ever you had multiple opportunities to be and you yeah. she literally chose 
to turn away from him mm-hmm. on more than one occasion. Yeah. You know, I hadn't had nothing to make no choice with. I didn't know nothing about being no wife. I didn't know nothing about being no mama. I didn't know nothing about nothing. Just a country. All your daddy did was beat on me and beat you real bad. But I loved you, so I stayed. And I left because I loved you. And then I was gone. And I did the best I could. I did that. I did. And I'm ashamed. And I look at you. Don't cry now. Don't do it. Don't cry. Clean yourself up. Ain't nothing to cry about. Change around. Change around. I don't need nothing. Change around. I don't need no one. All right, so next up, we have How to Get Away with Murder, which the pilot aired in 2014 and was directed by Michael Offer. We don't normally cover television in our Outside the Actor studio, but we thought it was significant enough because it was on for six seasons and she is the starring role. We thought it was a an important role to talk about for Viola. Ooh, I like whoever wrote this description. Annalise Keating, Oscar and Tony winning actress Viola Davis. A brilliant, charismatic, and seductive, all very true, professor of defense law. <laughs> She's so seductive. Teaches a class called How to Get Away with Murder. Annalise is also a criminal defense attorney who selects a group of students, the best and the brightest, to assist with cases at her firm alongside her employees. Mysteries arise that test everyone's limits and reveal dark truths. Good morning. I don't know what terrible things you've done in your life up to this point, but clearly your comments out of balance to get assigned to my class. I'm Professor Annalise Keating, and this is Criminal Law 100, or as I prefer to call it, How to Get Away with Murder. After watching her go through so much shit in so many movies. When I got to this and watched the pilot, I was like, you sleep with that man. You do crazy shit in the courtroom. You look gorgeous in that makeup. Like I was so into it. Her power suits, her amazing heels, her walking, (laughs) her hair looked incredible. She's commanding a room. I loved her she's so cool and not to be dramatic but this felt like a role she was born to play she's commanding yes she's sharp she's smart she's sparkly i just love it it just feels so good yeah she's intimidating but in a way that the her students all respect her they are rightfully wanting to be as prepared and on their top of their game because that's what she demands of the people that she surrounds herself with. And even people who are at the top of her game will never yeah. get to where her top is. <laughs> and I just love that for her. Yeah. Uh, this is not my kind of show, but after the pilot, I thought, am I going to watch this? The good people of Philadelphia saw justice prevail today. Miss Sadowski was a victim here scapegoated by a desperate, overworked DA's office. And as much as we hope the police find the real perpetrator of this act against Mr. Kaufman, Ms. Sadowski is and always has been innocent. And I'm so happy the jury agreed. I want to be her. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be back soon. <laughs> 